Shalom, shalom, welcome, welcome, world changers. Tonight we're going to be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 10, 1 Chronicles chapter 19, talking about King David and all of Israel fighting Ammon, and we're also going to get into several Psalms as well. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Uh, so just before we get into that, let's see what we have here in the chat. We have Calamento says shalom to all. One John says shalom. We have The Great Deception says, Shalom, everyone. Psalm 94 says, Shalom, everyone. And Julie says, Shalom, all. Welcome, welcome, guys. Great to see you. Blessings multiplied to you. And as I read the scriptures, as we get into this. Now, tonight I'm going to be a little bit more uh, intricate, okay? I'm going to put 2 Samuel chapter 10 and 1 Chronicles chapter 19 side by side and read it at least some of it kind of side by side and compare the two. Again, for those of you who are new to this, First Chronicles is considered to be like a midrash of 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd um, Kings. So uh, if there are any discrepancies between the two, uh, always First and Second Chronicles takes the back seat, okay? Um, and you know there are there are some, and uh, I'm not saying that there are in this t in tonight's reading. And I, I want to make it clear too: differences are not discrepancies, uh, and uh, discrep and differences are not contradictions either. So I just want to make that clear: there are differences all over the place. I mean, differences in every every verse. But I'm not saying that there are discrepancies, and I'm not saying there are contradictions. A contradiction is something that is a clear contradiction. For example, if First um, Kings says that the pillar of the temple measures, you know, ten cubits high, and uh, Chronicles says it measures twelve cubits high, well, you can't have both. And I know there are people. Uh, but trust, uh, I have heard some wild explanations. And that's exactly what they are. Explanations explaining in a way like how could the temp, how could the pillar be, you know, 12 cubits high in, in, in Chronicles, but only 10 in Kings. Just wild, wild um, ways around it. Obviously not true. But again, you can always, always reconcile anything. Okay. But the, but the, the question is, what's the truth? Let's not try to m make them com uh, compatible if they're really not. Now, I've heard somebody, there's, an, there's somebody, I'm not going to mention any names because <laughs> there is somebody that I, that was quite, actually quite, uh, quite a going concern on YouTube uh, several years ago, not so much now, but uh, several years ago. And, uh, you know, he said in regards to the temp, the pillar in, in first Chronicle or not first Chronicles, but I forget, I forget exactly where the um, uh, references were, but we have Kings that says one thing and Chronicles that says another thing, and he made up some wild, oh, okay, so there there was a lever under the floor and they pushed the lever and it made the pillar higher. It's like, give me a break. Give me a break. It's okay if there are two different books written by two different authors in the Bible that say two con contradictory things. It's okay. It's okay. People need to realize that. People need to, you know, not be so... It's, it's, the biggest problem is the Bible canon, okay? Again, I always say this, I'll say it again, the Bible 
is not biblical in the sense of the Bible canon is not biblical. The Bible canon was put together by man, not by God. Now, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the individual books of the Bible. I'm talking about the actual structure or the framework or the Bible canon. Anyways, let's do this. This is 2 Samuel chapter 10 compared to 1 Chronicles chapter 19. Uh, just, a, just so you know, I'm not, I don't have anything up my sleeve here. I'm not going to point out any uh, you know, contradictions as, as far as I foresee. But uh, let's just read them together and um, see what they say. And, and you know that First and Second Chronicles, for the most part, are very much repeated. First um, uh, and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. And you can see it here quite clearly. Second Samuel 10. And it happened after that, the king of the people Ammon died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. And it happened after this that the king of the people of Ammon died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. In First Chronicles 19, it says, and it happened after this that Nahash the king of the people of Ammon died and his son reigned in his place. Very interesting uh, because over here in 2 Samuel, you have the name of his son, whereas 1 Chronicles, you have the name of the king, but not the son. 2 Samuel, you have the name of the son, but not the king. So, you know, in this, in this instance, yes, they are different. They're not contradictory. They're not contradictory. I don't see any, I don't see any discrepancies here or contradiction, contradictions at all. Now, I mean, if it said that Nahash was the king of the people in first Chronicles, but yet in second Samuel, it said that, you know, uh, yeah, Yehonan or something was the king of the, of the people of, of Ammon. Then there is a discrepancy. Then there is a contradiction, but here we don't have any contradiction, at least not in that verse. Verse two, then David said, this is second Samuel. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash. Okay. So now we got the name, both names. And as his father showed kindness to me, first Chronicles 19, then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Hanash, because his father showed kindness to me. Very, very similar. Moving on here with the uh, last half of the second verse in 2 Samuel, it says, So David sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father. Back over here in 1 Chronicles 19, So David sent messengers to comfort him concerning his father. Okay, so again, we have some differences, but that's that's fine. 2 Samuel says, And David's servants came to the land of the people of Ammon. Over here in First Chronicles, and David's servants came to Hamon in the land of the people of Ammon to comfort him. Okay, so again, there's a little bit more added here in First Chronicles in this verse. Um, nothing contradictory there either. Uh, verse three, and the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanun, their lord, "Do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not rather?" sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out and to overthrow it. Okay. So over there in second Chronicles or first Chronicles, it says, and the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanun, do you think 
that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Did did his servants not come to you to search out, to search and overthrow and to spy out the land? A little bit different wording, but pretty much the same. Verse 4 in 2 Samuel, Therefore Hanun took David's servants, shaved off half of their beards, cut off their garments in the middle, at their buttocks, and sent them away. Hmm. Well, that sounds like quite the practical joke, doesn't it? Over here uh, in First Chronicles, it says, Therefore Hanun took David's servants, shaved them, and cut, th- cut off their garments in the middle. In the um, footnotes here, it says, in half. <laughs> At, the, at their buttocks and sent them away. Okay. Pretty similar. Verse 5 in 2 Samuel, When they told David, he, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. Very interesting, by the way. Let me just read over here uh, before I comment on that. First Chronicles chapter 19, it says, verse 5, Then some went and told David about the men, and he sent to meet them, because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Wait at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. Now let me just give you a little bit of a comment on this. It's kind of interesting. So for those of I see we have people joining us just now. We're reading from 2 Samuel 10. Uh, verse 5, and First Chronicles chapter 19, verse 5. Now, something's interesting about this, because David would not allow them to show themselves in public without a beard. That's amazing. I, that just... It's interesting. It's interesting. It's, it's, it seems that it was, it was kind of like a, you know, um, humiliating thing. Um, especially to David and to that to the culture there. Oh, by the way, we got uh, let me see. We got Willie Wiley, whatever. Sorry uh, if I mispronounced that on Podbean Podcast joining us. Welcome, welcome to you guys over there on Podbean. I'm also streaming live, by the way, on YouTube simultaneously. We have Vinny. Vinny uh, on YouTube says, Shalom, everyone. Caballero says, Hello, everyone. Question for Move says, Shalom. And Jerome says, Shalom. I'm not sure when you celebrate Passover, but have a good one. Thank you very much, Jerome. Thank you. And yeah. Okay. Awesome. The Great Deception says, I wear a beard. Awesome. As uh, as our beloved brother Paul Neeson would say, beard on, beard on, beard on, beard on, brother. Okay, so, um, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting the way and the reason that David gave there. Let's continue. This is 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6. When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, the people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth-Rehob and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and from the king of Maka, 1,000 men, and from Ishtob, or Ishtob, um, depending on how you want to say that, because in the Hebrew, by the way, uh, the bet and the vet are basically the same um, 
It's the same letter. It's just pr- pronounced differently in different times. Tov and Tob, um, Tobit, and Tovia, um, Tovia, Tobit, Tobias, Tobia, and Tovia are the same name, just two different ways of saying it. It's a, it's a Hebrew name, by the way. Uh, anyway, uh, from Ishtov, 12,000 men. Okay, so First uh, Chronicles chapter 19, it says, When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, Hanun and the people of Ammon sent a thousand talents of silver to hire themselves chariots and horsemen from Mesopotamia, from Syrian Maaka, and from Zoba. Okay, so we have more detail here, as, as we can see. It says here, um, Chronicles says, a thousand talents of silver. It tells you exactly how much it costs them. Um, over in Second Samuel, it just says the people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Re- uh, Beth Rehob and the Syrians of Zoba. Okay, so it doesn't tell you how much they paid, but uh, First Chronicles does give us those details. Okay, so this is where it kind of branches off. In First Chronicles, it says, so they hired for themselves 32,000 chariots with the king of Maka and his people who came and, uh, and encamped before Mediba. Also, the people of Ammon gathered together from their cities and came to battle. So, um, let's just compare this now. We got, they hired for themselves 32,000 chariots. Over here in 2 Samuel, it says 20,000 foot soldiers. And from the king of Maka, 1,000 men. And from Ish. 12,000 men. Okay. So, I mean, you put it all together, 20,000, 21,000, 33,000, although it says over here 32,000. Uh, is this a discrepancy or is this a contradiction? Um, perhaps not. It, it, it specifies here chariots. As opposed to, it's more specific in in Second Samuel saying that there are uh, twenty thousand soldiers and one thousand, and from the king of Maka, one thousand men there, and another twelve thousand men from Ishtov. Um, so yeah, continuing with Second Samuel chapter ten verse seven. Now, when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah, Beth Rehob, Ishtob, and Maacah were by themselves in the field. Over here in First Chronicles chapter 19, now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of mighty men. Verse 9, then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, before the gate of the city, and the kings who had come were themselves in the field.
Okay. Um, just kind of comparing these two. So over here it says in Chronicles that the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array before the, the gate of the city and the kings who had come by themselves in the field. So the people and the kings over here, then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah, Beth Rehob, Eshtob, Ma'acha were by themselves in the field. So it doesn't mention the kings, although it could, you know, imply that as well. Going on with 2 Samuel chapter 10. When Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. First Chronicles, it says, when, when Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. Pretty much the same. Pretty much the same. Verse 10 on 2 Samuel. And the rest of the people he put under com the command of Abishai, his brother, that he might set them in battle array against the people of Ammon. Second or First Chronicles says, and the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, and they set themselves in battle array against the people of Ammon. Again, pretty much identical. Second Samuel 10, 11, then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. First Chronicles, then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall, you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will help you again. Pretty much the same. Second Samuel 10, 12, but uh, be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. First Chronicles, be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So, identical. 2 Samuel 10, 13. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians, and, and they fled, and they fled before him. First uh, Chronicles 19 says, So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians, and, the, and they went before him. And they fled before him, excuse me. Second Samuel says, when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai and entered the city. So Joab returned from the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem or to, went to Jerusalem. And First Chronicles 19.15 says, when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai, his brother. It adds his brother here and entered the city. Uh, so Joab went to Jerusalem. And again, it's a little bit shorter than what Second uh, Samuel says. So Joab returned from the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. Continuing with Second Samuel 10, 15, when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered together. First Chronicles, now when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they sent messengers and brought the Syrians who were beyond the river 
And Shofach, the commander of Hadadezer's army, went before them. Okay, so 2 Samuel says, Then Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river, and they came to Helam. And Shobach, the commander of Hadadezer's armor, went, went before them. So it's a little bit, little bit different, a little bit different order, but it's pretty much the same. Continuing 2 Samuel 10, 17, when it was told David, he gathered all Israel, crossed, crossed over the Jordan, and came to Halem. First Chronicles, when it was told David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, and came upon them, and set up in battle array against them. Different. Not contradictory, but different. Second Samuel, continuing, and the Syrians sent, set themselves in battle array against David and fought, hit, uh, fought with him. Verse 18, then the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians. Let's just stop there for a second before we go. Um, 1 Chronicles 19, 18, then the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 7,000 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers. Of the Syrians, okay. So let me just let me just look at the um, footnotes here. In First Chronicles nineteen eighteen, seven hundred, seven hundred. Very interesting. Seven hundred, and here it says seven thousand. Right. So in Second Samuel, it says seven hundred. Here it says seven thousand. Here it says 40,000 foot uh, horsemen of the Syrians. And again, it says 40,000 um, foot soldiers, foot soldiers in, in the footnotes, it says horsemen. So here um, it appears to be, uh, we, got a, we got a contradiction. Okay, we got a contradiction because we got 7,000 versus 700. It's a little bit different. That's a little bit different. Okay, so. Um, just out of curiosity, let's see what it says in the Septuagint. Uh, so this is Second Samuel ten eighteen. So let's just go on over to the Septuagint for a minute. Second Samuel ten eighteen. Seven hundred. Seven hundred here. Okay. So the Masoretic and the Septuagint agree in on this one however um first chronicles is quite a bit different let's see what it says in the septuagint on first chronicles so this would be 1918 um 7000 so we have we have dear Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, we have a contradiction. This is a contradiction. If someone says 700 and someone else uh, said 7,000, there's a contradiction there. Perhaps a scribal error, error. Perhaps a scribe copied it wrong, added an extra zero, as it were, something to that effect. Uh, however, we do have a contradiction here. 
Okay. Same with horsemen and foot soldiers. Okay. That's, that's different. Horsemen over on second Samuel, it's horsemen. Um, and in first Chronicles 19, it's, it's inf infantry or foot soldiers. So that is different. Now you see, this is the thing I want to, I want everybody to, to get comfortable with this because we see this throughout the scriptures and we're not bibliolaters. Okay. We don't idolize a book that man compiled. Please understand me. I'm not saying that, the, that God didn't write the Bible. I'm not saying that it's not the word of God. I'm just saying that the compilation of the books in the Bible is not of God. That is what man did. Man compiled. They said, okay, we're going to take these, these number of books. We're going to put them all together in one book and call it the Holy Bible. Man did that. Originally, and I believe it was God's will for it to be actually kept separately. Now, is it wrong to have it all put together in, in one, you know, in the Holy Bible? I'm not going to say it's wrong because I have Holy Bibles all over the place here. I've got Bibles all over the place. Um, so I can't condemn anybody for that. However, I do want to really bring this home because it is such, it is, it is the root of, of, a lot of atheism comes from this, comes from the bibliolatry of Christians. A lot of division in the church comes from the bibliolatry of Christians. Polyanism definitely comes, polyanity, polytry definitely comes from bibliolatry. So, it's like we were talking about the other day. Is it wrong to have a graven image? Not necessarily. Is it wrong to worship a graven image? Oh, yes, absolutely. So is it wrong to have a Bible, 66 book Bible? I'm not saying it is. Is it wrong to worship it as the perfect idol? Yes, it is. Okay. It's, it's, it's okay to admit that 2 Samuel is different than 1 Chronicles. Not just different, but contradictory. I should say it the other way around, since First Chronicles came after Second Samuel. First Chronicles contradicted Second Samuel for one reason or another. We don't know exactly why. Probably just a scribal error here. But it's okay, because we don't worship a canon. We look at the scriptures objectively, and we want the truth. Amen? We want the truth. So I, just a few more verses here. Actually, just one more verse, I believe it is. And then I'll get to your comments. And, uh, and then we'll go to the Psalms. This is awesome, by the way. I, I, I really enjoy doing this, um, putting it side by side and comparing it like this. Because again, if you read all of 2 Samuel, and then you, you know, later on, some you know, days or weeks or months later, read all of 1 Chronicles, you don't see this. And honestly... I didn't even know about this until just now. <laughs> just putting it together myself. And went, I didn't know about this until just now. So I'm learning too. But again, I'm, um, I am not about to bend over backwards and to reconcile something that is implausibly recon irreconcilable. I mean, you can reconcile it if you want, but it's not plausible. It's not reasonable to do so.
Okay, so let's, the last verse, actually one and a half verses, okay, because we got, uh, start with 2 Samuel 10, 18, and instruct Shobach, the commander of the army who died there. Okay, and then over here in First Chronicles, and killed Shofak. Different again, different uh, spelling, similar but different spelling, different pronunciation. Killed Shofak, the commander of the army. Now, some of these people, I mean, some of these these people who focus so much on name pronunciations and all the like hyper 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 literalists. You might say, "Well, it's two different people." No. It's not two different people. It's obviously talking about the same person. It's just, again, this probably is a scribal error. This is probably, you know, instead of putting, you know, a bet or vet in there, you know, they put a pay or fay in there, okay? Um, in the Hebrew, uh, perhaps it was pronounced differently. Perhaps it was spelt one way and pronounced. Who knows what the reason is? However, this is obviously in context talking about the same person, just pronounced and spelt two different ways okay for second uh, samuel 10 19 and when all the kings who were servants of us uh, to hadadezer saw that they were defeated by israel they made peace with israel and served them so the syrians were afraid to help the people of ammon anymore first chronicles and when the servants of hated hadadezer again right there we we don't have the details that we have in second samuel saying that all the kings who were servants says when all when all the uh, and when the servants of hadadezer saw that they were defeated by israel they made peace with david Okay, so we got more, again, this is different, not necessarily contradiction here, different. They made peace with David and became his servants. Okay, so here over, over on this side, it says they, they made peace with Israel and served them. Okay, so honestly, quite honestly, um, this is like a hybrid contradiction, perhaps. I said it wasn't, but... I mean, when you say David in one and then Israel in another, you could say, okay, so David, because he was the king of Israel, he represented Israel. Um, give you that. It does say different. It is different. However, uh, it's kind of borderline, borderline, depending on how you want to read it, depending on how you want to interpret it. And they made peace with Israel over here in 2 Samuel and served them. First Chronicles. 19 and they made peace with David and become became his servants. Second Samuel so the so the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. Oops, I just accidentally clicked that. Um First Chronicles says so the Syrians were not willing to help the people of Ammon anymore. Okay. Different, definitely different. Okay, let's see what we have here in the chat before we get too far. Welcome to the, those of you on Podbean. I am streaming live as well, uh, simultaneously on YouTube, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and Twitch, and all kinds of other 
platforms as well. Um, oh, yeah. In regards to re wearing a beard, The Great Deception says it's new for me. I couldn't for most of my life. For most of my life. Well, okay. The Great Deception says have a good Passover and unleavened bread. Thank you very much. Great Deception says, I will celebrate on the 14th of April on this calendar. Um, just to give you guys a little bit of a heads up as well, I am looking at doing that as well. Uh, I, I hear and I, you know, I'm, I'm, there's, there's a, a lot of different opinions and different, different points of view of different calendars. There's like calendars galore. And it's just, it's really, it's really a mess. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that people who celebrate on a different calendar is wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's, it's just a mess because everybody's got like their own calendars. And I, you know, it's like, um, so as far as I can see for myself and Lord willing, I, I want to do as much as I can online. I'm not sure how that's going to play out, but, um, I will too, uh, do it in the conventional. I will celebrate the conventional dates. Um, as far as I, as far as I know, um, at this point. So that's just a little bit of a heads up. Interesting on, uh, one John says I was researching beards in the Jewish instruction and found 24 page PDF on beard law. <laughs> that's pretty interesting. I never heard about that. Um, Yeah, this is something too. Like um, one John says, it's beyond ridiculous that if you pull out hairs while combing it, that is a sin. Oh yeah. Um, the best ex explanation I found from a rabbi is not to clean cut it on the borders where it meets the skin. Different. I'm sure there's different, many different. Um, interpretations of that as well one john says uh do you have an opinion on the nlt new living translation i was looking at matthew 5 17 to 20 which i think is the way to salvation and nlt seems so clear they fit they fit rid of they get rid of fulfilled uh, very, in, yeah, thank you for asking a very interesting question because it's a very interesting translation. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the NLT, uh, it, uh, there's a lot of people who actually just write it right off because it's like, it's a paraphrase. It's more of a paraphrase than it is a translation. Um, so a lot of people just kind of write it off and just say, ah, it's, 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 they don't even read it. Don't even study it. But uh, from what I've seen, um, it does get a lot of things right. It does. It does get a lot of things right. And it seems to me like I know this is very controversial for me to say something like this. It seems to me like the NLT, the way it reads, is more accurate. The way it's understood 
at least in some, I'm not saying the whole thing in every word. I'm not saying every verse. No, don't get me wrong. I'm saying just in, in generally speaking, it seems to be more understood the way it's understood compared to, let's say, the old King James Bible and the way that's read and understood, it seems like the NLT is more accurate. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm saying in the way that it's read and understood, not in the way that it's translated or not in the, you know, not that it's, you know, more literal or more, you know what I mean? Uh, but just in its overall message. It's, it's, it's really, I wouldn't say it's, a, a, there, put it this way, there are a lot of, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of people who would throw it away for sure because of it's not being a real, like real translation, but a, 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 a paraphrase. So, yeah. Um, that's my my opinion on the NLT. I wouldn't really recommend that someone actually uses, you know, use the NLT for their, you know, for their primary um, Bible uh, reading, Bible studies. Um, if they do, I'm not going to make a big deal of it. I'm not going to recommend it necessarily. Um, but yeah, it seems to be uh, pretty good in, in at least some passages for sure. Vinny says, so it's a definite command to have a beard. Yes, uh, if it's possible. Uh, and just like anything else in, in, the, uh, in the Torah, I know that some people, it's not possible. Um, uh, they just don't have, they, you know, it just doesn't grow. Um, but yeah, if it's possible, yes. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think that God gave men a beard or facial hair for a reason. And, uh, and uh, you know, just part of the distinction of of uh, of uh, being who God created you to be. So I think it is. I think it's important. Yes. Okay. Let me see what we got here. Um, by the way, any any of you guys over there on Podbean, if you have any questions, comments, whatever, just drop them in the. Uh, in the live chat there, and I'll get to them. All right. So let's go to let's be Psalm 20. Psalm 20. To the chief musician, a Psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God, of the God of Jacob, defend you, set you on high, literally set you, set you on high. Not sure why uh, it's translated as defend you here, but I think set you on high sounds better. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt off burnt sacrifice. Selah. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. Counsel. 
we will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. I suppose that would be Messiah, Mashiach. Yes, Commission 1, Hebrew Messiah. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. I guess that would be like the Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so. Psalm 65. Psalm 65. To the chief musician, a praise, a psalm, excuse me, of David, a song. Praise is awaiting you, O God in Zion. And to you, the vow shall be performed. The vow, a promised deed. The vow shall be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. By awesome deeds and righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation. You who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and from the and of the far off seas, who established the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power, you who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples. They also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. You make the outgoings of the morning and even re evening rejoice. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with, with flocks. The valleys also are covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. Amen. Psalm 66. To the chief musician, a song, a psalm. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. 
sing out to uh, sing out the honor of his name make his praise glorious say to god how awesome are your works through the greatness of your power your enemies shall submit themselves to you all the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you they shall sing praises to your name selah Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the river on foot. There we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved, to slip. For you, oh God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You have brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You, you have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows which my lips have uttered and my mouth have spoken has spoken when i was in trouble i will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with sweet aroma of rams i will offer bulls with goats selah come and hear all you who fear god and i will declare what he has done for my soul i cried to him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. If I, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Wow, that's awesome. You know, I can't go, let me, I'll, I'll read the next Psalm in just a moment, but let me just, verse 18, where it says, if, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Sometimes you might ask, you know, why does God not hear my prayers or why are my prayers not answered? Well, I mean, there are many different reasons. This is one, one of many different reasons. Perhaps it's not the Lord's time. Um, perhaps there are there is a spiritual war going on, like it was in in the book of Daniel when Daniel was praying for three weeks, and you know the, the angel was dispersed the very moment he started praying, but the angel was caught up in battle on the way, and uh, it took days for the angel of God to answer his prayer, at least to deliver the answer to his prayer um, because of the spiritual battle that's going on. So there's, there's different, many different reasons. But this is one of the reasons. 
that a prayer may not be answered. If you regard iniquity in your heart, we need to always be humble. We need to always confess our sins and and not regard iniquity iniquity in our heart. So what somebody might say, what does it mean to regard iniquity in your heart? Well, to love sin more than God, to love sin, to try to um, justify sin when you shouldn't be trying to justify sin, to pay attention to it, to entertain sin. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. It's pretty serious, pretty serious. So, next psalm, Psalm 67, an invocation and a doxology to the chief musician on stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. That your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Psalm 68. The glory of God in his goodness. Actually, you know what? Psalm 69. I'm sorry. I'm supposed to be reading Sorry, Psalm 69. An urgent plea for help in trouble. To the chief musician set to the lilies, a psalm of David. The lilies, Shoshanin, Shoshanim. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire. Where where there is no standing, I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me. Being my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. O God, you know my foolishness, and my sins are not hidden from you. Let not those who wait for you O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let me just let me just pause here for a second. Because this psalm is a beautiful psalm, and it really is spoken of 
from first person, first person, Jesus on the cross. Okay? You'll see what I mean later on. When I read this, think of Jesus speaking this, and I know it is unthinkable. I understand for like most people, if not almost everybody, it's unthinkable for Jesus to actually be saying this. But you read on later on, you see how clearly this is actually, this is Yeshua speaking. I touched on this several nights ago. That, you know, Hebrew says that Yeshua became perfect. The, the, the prophecy of the son of David coming said that when he sins, discipline him. Now this, again, I know I, I've, I've actually wrestled with this myself, okay? But I, I have to be honest with you. We want the truth. I have to be honest with you. This is the word of God. I believe this is, this is Yeshua. This is Yeshua speaking. And as we read on, you will, you will see how, you know, it goes right into when he says, you know, they've given, they gave me vinegar to drink. They, the, the gall that they, the vinegar and the, in the, uh, the gall that they gave him on the cross. Christians would tell you, almost all Christians, actually every Christian that I know of will say that is, that's Jesus speaking. When he was on the cross, th this was fulfilled. Well, let's not take it out of context. The whole context here is first person. It's the same person speaking, okay, throughout the whole psalm in first person. So again, as I read this, think about this for a moment. Let's just think about this for a moment. Psalm 69, verse 5. Oh my God, you know my foolishness. How I know that 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 really doesn't sit right for almost everybody. But listen, let's you know my sins, my sins here. The my here, the the person speaking here is the same person speaking down here. For my for my, it's the same my. Okay, it's the same. It's the same person for my thirst. They gave me vinegar to drink. They also gave me gall for my food. It's the same person. It's the same person. I understand. This stuff is difficult to swallow. However, hey, again, let's break out of the shell. Let's read it for what it really says. Let's read it in context. Let's, 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 let's take it. Let's not cut. Let's not let's not cherry pick here let's take it all in context when you got a whole song psalm that is written by one person and it says my 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 throughout the whole thing you know, of course it's the same person speaking so this would be yeshua speaking and again this lines up with what it says in hebrews what it says in uh samuel right where it's i know it doesn't line up with christian theology but this is I mean, it's right here. My sins are not hidden from you. Let not those who wait for you, O Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let, let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O God of Israel, because for your sake I have borne reproach. Okay, and this really fits Yeshua. And we know, again, I will tell you, I believe... I'm virtually certain this is all Yeshua speaking. 
Shame has covered my face. Okay, when would shame cover his face? Oh, probably during his trial, probably when everybody was was screaming out, crucify him, probably when he hung on the cross completely naked and torn apart. Verse eight, I have become a stranger to my brothers. Again, this is Yeshua on the cross. This is Yeshua speaking. What does he mean by I have become a stranger to my brothers? Because everybody fled. James, his brother, and the rest of his family members that were there, they all fled. And an alien to my mother's children. Right? Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, right? Verse 9, because zeal for your house has eaten me up. Again, we know this is, this is Yeshua according to the Gospels. According to the Gospels, this is Yeshua speaking. Therefore, this also is Yeshua speaking. Oh my God, oh God, you know my foolishness and my sins are not hidden from you. And I know that completely destroys vicarious atonement. And I believe it should, actually. But, and I know that's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow. But let's, let's, let's get to the truth and let's put aside what... If Paul said anything that's, that's not true, well, we'll have to say it's not true. Because zeal for your house has eaten me up. We know that this was, this was fulfilled when Yeshua ripped apart the temple, so to speak overturned the tables, took a whip to the people. For, you know, because of zeal of your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. So it, this, is, this, this shows that Yeshua bore the brunt, bore, carried the burden, basically, of the reproaches of God. When I wept and chastened my soul with fasting, that became my reproach. Well, when did Yeshua fast? We know he fasted during the 40 days he was in the wilderness, perhaps even other times as well. He fasted. Um, Yom Kippur, maybe. Um, you know, so he fasted. I also made sackcloth my garment and became a byword to them. Well, you know what? Yeshua is still a byword today. People take the name of Jesus in vain. Those who sit in the gate speak against me. And I'm the song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, in the acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in the truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Again, this is a figure of speech, right? The mire of the troubles that he was in. From the arrest, from the garden, uh, from the garden to the grave, you know. I, let, me, let me be delivered from those who hate me out of the deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up. In other words, this is a prayer. This is actually Yeshua's prayer for resurrection, right? Don't let the deep 
swallow me up. Let not the pit shut its mouth on me. So there's, there's the prayer for resurrection right there. There's Yeshua's prayer for resurrection. Let not the pit, the grave, shut its mouth on me. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn me according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. This is amazing. Um, Let me just stop here for a second because I... What I'm sharing, as most of you know, uh, I see, you know, some people, they it just cannot take what I'm saying, but that's fine. Um, because then we have to be open, we have to be humble, we have to be, uh, we have to go wherever truth will lead us. We'll ha- we have to go wherever re- reason, logic, and truth will lead us. God is a God of truth, and so let us not be afraid of that. What I've what I have shared in the past 10, 15 minutes completely destroys substitutionary atonement, vicarious atonement. Because the whole idea is that <laughs> well again, I, I, without getting too far, get, without getting too far into it. Um, I do believe that Yeshua was not born. I do not believe he was born um, with all knowledge. I don't think that he actually knew how to talk, how to walk. How to, you know, I, I think that he was just like any other baby. He was just like, you know, hey, if he did actually, if he was actually born with the abilities uh, and the knowledge of, the wisest man that has ever lived, then people would not be saying what they said in the in the Gospels. They said in the Gospels, hey, we know Jesus. Like, we grew up with him. Like, they didn't see anything special there. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's not special. Obviously, he's very special. But I'm just saying that he learned there was a process. I think that he probably, as a child, he was probably running around like any other child would, tripping and falling and bruising himself and whatever else. You know, I'm pretty sure he had fun like any other child would. So he wasn't perfect in that sense. Pretty sure he had to learn how to talk. So he wasn't perfect in that sense. Pretty sure he made mistakes. I know that's a very controversial. Uh, Statement, but if he was a true human, as I believe he was a true human, and if he identified with uh, with humanity as much as the scriptures say he, that he did, he would have had to have known what it's like to make a mistake, and may I say, to know what foolishness is too, and sin as well. And I know that, don't, I mean, we just read it here. We just read it here. Do I believe that he had sin when he 
let's say, for example, when he was in his ministry? I No, I'm not saying that. There are many ways to atone. If Yeshua had some kind of, you know, when he was born, they had to bring the uh, Mary and Joseph had to bring the pigeons or the lamb and sacrifice. Why did they have to do that? Why did they have to bring a sacrifice for Yeshua when he was born? Did he need to have a sacrifice cover him? Did Mary need to have a sacrifice cover her? If she did, then you know what I'm saying? If he sinned, does that mean that sin is if if Yeshua sinned? If he said something wrong as a child or as a youngster, like a lot all of us youngsters have, right? So if he said something wrong or did something wrong, which I'm pretty sure he probably did, Repentance, humility, prayer, the atonement, sacrifice, any number of things would easily cleanse that sin away, wipe that sin away, cleanse it. Yeah, so I know there's going to be people like this. You got George here that says no, uh, he never sinned, uh, he knows no sin. Who said he knows no sin? Paul, right? Right? Isn't it Paul that said that? And we got so many things that Paul said that are not true, proven to be not true by just looking at looking at the script, looking at the Tanakh, right? And he never claimed to be perfect. Paul never claimed to be perfect. We have Hebrews that says that, that Yeshua became perfect. So you might say, okay, he knew no sin at one point in his life, you know, perhaps later in his life he knew no sin. He became perfect. Actually, it says in Hebrews, he became perfect through suffering, which obviously implies there was a time when he wasn't perfect. Right? And again, if you say, George, if you say that he never sinned, what you are saying is the prophecy of the son of David, the Messiah given to David in 2 Samuel is wrong. That's what you're saying. Because the prophecy of the son of David says that when he sins, he will be disciplined. George says he was not born with original sin. There is no, there's no such thing as original sin, by the way. It's one of the greatest heresies that has ever plagued the church, brought in by the, the quasi-Manichaean Saint Augustine that has a litany of problems. In You read the Confessions of Saint Augustine? <laughs> Need I say more? Need I say more? 1 John says, uh, I have thought about when Jesus went to the temple, his parents spent all that time looking for him. Um, that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't seem respectful to his parents. So I also believe that uh, as a youth, uh, he made mistakes. You know, if he didn't make mistakes, how could he? How could he relate to us? Going nowhere says, I think extra biblical gospels claim that 
Jesus wasn't exactly the ideal child, but grew up and matured. So, yeah, you read you read stuff like the um, infancy gospel, the, the Arabic in, infancy gospel, and the infancy gospel of Thomas, and some of the other in, uh, ancient writings um, about Yeshua's early life. Uh, well, he certainly is a very interesting young man, that's for sure. And uh, yeah. Um, I'm just, hey, you know what? I mean, if I didn't say what I'm saying right now, I feel like I wouldn't be, I feel like I'd be negligent. I'd feel like I'm, I wouldn't be truthful to you guys. If I, if I didn't say what I'm, what I'm, you know, what I'm saying right now, if I just let it go and, and just, you know, kept quiet about what's on my mind and what I'm reading, I would feel like I'd be, I wouldn't be as open with you guys as I think I should be. You know what? I have I have a hunch that a lot of pastors actually see this, but they're afraid to talk about it. So they just go along with the Paulian narrative because of the they don't want to lose their job. They don't want to, they don't want the board to jump down their throats. There's a lot of things going on in churches. You guys know that. Excuse me. Yeah, but George says uh, it's it's inevitable to the human condition. He is the high priest. There are quite a bit of people in the Old Testament that were blameless. Job, Melchizedek, possibly Elijah, Enoch. Going nowhere asks the question, who created God? Um, going nowhere, just out of, out of curiosity, going nowhere, you don't mind. Um, I really appreciate your questions and all your, uh, your, 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 uh, your comments and everything like that. Just wondering, um, like, what's, how old are you? Would you mind sharing that with me? God, uh, God is the, um, the name, one of the names of God as the four letter name of God, Yod, Hey, Wow, Hey, or Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey, in more modern Hebrew, um, is an acronym that stands for who was and is and is to come. Um, so the, his very name, it means eternal. He's, he, there, there was never a, a time when he wasn't, when he wasn't, he always was. And, uh, and that's the reason why he's, you know, that's the reason why he's eternal. He, he, uh, he basically, he created time basically. Um, Everything he created, everything he created is, everything he created has a beginning and has an end. Anything that has a beginning will have an end. Okay. Um, And that's why it says in 1 John, if we are born of God, then we have God's seed in us. And therefore we will basically, we are eternal. But if we're created of God, basically, like, being created of God is almost like the opposite of being born of God. If you're created of God, you are susceptible to corruption and you will have an end. You have a beginning, you'll have an end. If you're born of God, 
that's different. You, you share, you, it's, you have God's seed in you, as it says in first John. So um, being born of God is not, is not being created of God. Uh, being born of God is, is being born of God. And that's, that's what really gives you that eternal life, so to speak. You notice everything God creates has a beginning and has an end. He, everything he, the work of his hands um, is corruptible, but he's not. Okay. Going nowhere since I'm 34, still young and have much to learn, I'm sure. Awesome. Good, uh, good, very good attitude about that. Um, so, you know, there's a, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but we'll get back to Psalm 69 here in just a minute. But um, let me just pull this up for you guys. Um, This is a passage that a lot of people get hung up on. Just, let me just talk about this for just a minute. Psalm 45, or not Psalm, excuse me, um, reading the Psalms so much. Isaiah 45, verse 7. It says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Interesting little thing here about this, the way it's worded, Okay. I form the light. Basically, his form is light. Like he is the light, but he creates darkness. It's not really part of him. He's not dark. I mean, he's not darkness, but he is light. Uh, he is light, but he creates darkness. You say, how can he create darkness? Well, you just leave the room. You know, if he leaves the room. There's it's, it's dark, right? I mean, so to speak. I'm just you know, I'm, I'm speaking figuratively here. I make peace. In other words, he's made out of peace. But he creates calamity. Again, how, do, how would he create calamity? By walking out the back door. By leaving. You don't want God to leave. Right? With God, you have the presence of God in your life. You have that light. You have that peace. If you don't have the presence of God, you have darkness. You have calamity. And so, just a little, that's just a little, little, what would I call it? Little side note. Keep in mind, whatever he created, it's just like man, right? God created man in his image. So everything that man creates has a beginning and one day will have an end. Everything. Everything you see in the material, physical realm in this world will one day be nothing but dust or ashes. Or you know, uh, mounted to the elements, uh, whatever. It, it, it's all going to go. Everything that is done will be undone. And that's exactly the way it is with God, too. Everything he created, will ha it has a beginning and will have an end. Just interesting. Now, again, this is Yeshua speaking. This is Yeshua speaking, you guys. And I, I encourage you in your own in your own personal time, reread this psalm and think about it again as Yeshua is speaking. 
perhaps, I don't know if we should do it again tonight or not, but because it's so powerful. It is so, so powerful. It's Yeshua speaking all the way. It's the word of God. Yeshua is the word of God in the flesh. Amen. According to Christian theology, that's what he is. So this is Yeshua speaking. You know my reproach, my say, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. My reproach has broken, or reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. Right? Well, you see, when when Yeshua was walking down the the Via Della Rosa, I mean, uh, you know, every, again, strike the sheep, st- strike the shepherd. The sheep were scattered. Um, yeah. As for comforters, I found none. They also gave me gall for food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Clear, clear prophecy of this is this is Yeshua speaking on the cross. This whole thing, all of Psalm sixty nine is. It's Yeshua. It's Yeshua speaking. Notice he doesn't pray. Uh, by the way. Um, Interesting little tidbit as well. You know that that um, verse in the Bible where it's like, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is a very, very, um, let me just pull that up. <laughs> since, since we're on the topic. Since we're on the topic, let's just pour, pull this up. Luke chapter 23, 34. Luke chapter 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now, this is what a lot of people do not know. A lot of, a lot of Christians do not know this little tidbit that in the NU text brackets the first sentence as a later addition. It wasn't part of the original. According to this, this whole nice little nice little prayer that Jesus prayed was isn't was not part of the original. It's not in the original manuscripts. It was added later. You would say, "Oh, so what?" <laughs> Makes a big difference. Let me explain. I said this before. God was father to Jesus his his entire life. He only he only called God God when he was speaking to the to sinners. Again, the, when you're a sinner, you're not really born of God. You are created of God. Therefore, you don't you are part of the creation, but you're not part of the family of God. So it's a big difference between calling God God and God Father. I remember way back in 1992, I think it was. Yeah. 1992. I got a hold of some pair, um, what would you call it? Some pamphlets and some booklets and some stuff. I think I ordered it. I actually ordered it back in those days, old, you know, the old fashioned snail mail orders. And it was actually directed to JWs. And one of the titles of one of the little booklets that I got was, and I was, it's actually supposed to be like evangelical material that you're supposed to hand out to JWs. One of the one of the uh, titles to one of these little booklet pamphlet things was, um, "Is Jehovah your God or your Father?" I'll never forget that because it made me think. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. 
That's why if you notice, I intentionally do not say Father God because it's two totally, it's like two, two completely different sides of the spectrum. God is who he is to the sinful creation. Father is who he is to his beloved children. God is like a distant thing, a distant relationship. God is out there somewhere. Whereas Father is the, you got that connection. You can crawl up on Daddy's lap. So Yeshua, when he was on the cross, he's, it's the first time ever when speaking directly to God, he, he, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? First time ever he didn't say, first time ever he, he, he spoke to God in prayer without saying Father. So you could say, well, one person might argue, well, he became sin on the cross. And be because of that, because he became sin, he lost that connection. Therefore, God wasn't his father in that state. Uh, he was more like just God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's just, it's so deep. Uh, this, I mean, I, this goes over a lot of people's head. A lot of people, I, I, I just hope and pray that everybody that hears my voice actually gets it. It's, you got to just let it sink in. So I said all that to say this. This particular passage where Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I do not believe he actually said that. Because it says in the original manuscripts that it's not there in the original manuscripts. Okay. It says it's not there. It was added later. That's number one. Number two is it doesn't fit the flow. It doesn't fit for him to call, for him to pray like that. At that point in his life, he, it, just, it didn't happen. He called God, God, not Father. It, it, there, was a, there was a change there. And number three, when you read the word of God, the Psalms, when, when Yeshua speaks first person, speaking to you, one-on-one, -on -one, basically, my, me, he's speaking first person. He, he, never, he didn't pray like that. He didn't pray all nicey-nicey. That's not how Jesus prayed. He wasn't nice. <laughs> he wasn't nice. <laughs> he was very, very merciful and very, very kind and very, very forgiving to those sinners who, re who repented and came to him in humility and sought his mercy. Oh, yes, no doubt about it. But to those who weren't, he certainly, we dealt with this the other day, right? Reading John chapter 8, how, what, there was about 10 levels, 10, 10 levels of insults that, that Yeshua just heaping on the people, heaping on the people. He called them all, he called them almost everything he could think. He, yeah, he and finally at the end, he, they were so irate. They were so irate. They're like, let me at him. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rip. You know, he had to. He had to go. He had to go to save his life because he made them that angry. And to think about it too, these people that he was speaking to, the Pharisees, these were people who were supposed to be Torah observant, which they're not supposed to be. <laughs> no, uh, they're not supposed to be um, taking their anger out on people so much uh, to actually, uh, you know, seek to uh, 
do someone in, right? To, to you know, uh, that's not Torah. Okay, uh, it took a lot to get them to to uh, to get to that point, but but Yeshua did it. He did it. Um, so he wasn't nice. So this father forgive them for they know not what they do. It just does not fit. If you actually know the scriptures, if you know the Psalms and how Yeshua speaks through the Psalms and how he prays through the Psalms, it just doesn't fit. And how he behaved on earth when he, when all, when, again, I'll just make one more point and then I'll move on. But it says when he was um, in his trial, when he was in trial, at his trial, put it that way. And they wanted to release um, Barabbas or him. It was like, release Barabbas, but who are we going, what are we going to do with, with Yeshua? And everybody's just screaming, crucify him. Why would they do that if he was nicey-nicey all the time? If he was, a sl- if, if he was this you know, tree-hugging hippie that everybody makes him out to be? Why would everybody be so angry with him? Like everybody. He said it in John 7, 7. um, The world hates me because I testify that their their deeds are evil. They hated him. They all hated him. Obviously. Why? For being nice? No, he wasn't nice. Anyway, let's go on with Psalm 69. Just thought I'd say that because... We're going to get into a prayer, and I believe this is Yeshua's prayer on the cross. I do. I mean, it's it's right there. It's 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 right there. It's in context. I mean, this is the cross. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them, and their well-being be a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see, and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their dwelling place place be desolate. Let no one live in their tents, for they persecute the ones you have struck and talk of, of the grief of those you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Wow. It's like goosebumps. I, that is what his prayer was on the cross. That's, that's what his prayer was on the cross. Not Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Give me a break. That was his prayer on the cross. It's right there. It's right there. Psalm 69. Again, you guys, you got to read it. <laughs> when we're done live stream, go, you know, before you go to sleep t- tonight, you know, open it up and read it again. It's awesome. It's just absolutely just phenomenal. It's just phenomenal. This is the truth. This is the truth. Moving on. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me up on high. 
I am poor and sorrowful. It reminds me of, you know, the Son of Man has nowhere, no place to lay his head. Sorrowful. That reminds me of the physical description of Jesus that we read time and time again, where it talks about how you, it, it, they say, like, people said um, that, that Yeshua was never known to laugh. He was pleasant in a sense. I mean, he had a pleasant demeanor about him, but he was never known to laugh. But he was known to cry. Verse 30. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. So, see, this is, this is the hope of resurrection right here. This is also, this also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bull which has horns and hooves, the humble shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, your hearts shall live. Beautiful. That's so beautiful. Wow. That's glorious. That's glorious. You who seek God, your hearts shall Live. It's the words of Yeshua. It's the words of our Lord. You ever read the words and read in the Gospels and thought, you know, I wish I just had more, especially in the book of John where it says, you know, if everything were written down, it, 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 we just don't have the books, we don't have the paper with papyrus or whatever they used back then to, to, to contain all the words of Yeshua. Well, you know, we've got a lot more words of Yeshua than the Gospels. And here it is right here. It's in the Psalms. He even tells you in the Gospels that his words are in the Psalms. This is him speaking. The humble shall see this and be glad. You who seek God, your hearts shall live. For the Lord hears the poor and does not despise his prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah that they may dwell there and possess it. Also, the descendants of his servants shall inherit it. And those who love his name shall dwell in it. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Psalm 70. To the chief musician, a psalm of David to bring to remembrance. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Let them be turned back because of their shame, who say, aha, aha. In the Masoretic, Septuagint, Targum, Vulgate, and some Hebrew manuscripts, Syriac says appalled. Oh, excuse me, that was a, a, no, a form of scorn, that is. An expression of scorn. Verse 4, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation Say continually, let God be magnified. Hmm. Isn't that awesome? Let God be magnified 
Let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste to help me, God, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, O Lord. Do not delay. Beautiful. Just, just so absolutely beautiful. Getting to your questions and your comments. Again, welcome to those of you who are joining there over on Podbean. We have read 2 Samuel chapter 10, 1 Chronicles chapter 19. We have compared them line by line. By the way, do you guys like it? You guys like doing it that way? Comparing it line by line? Um, and we've read several Psalms here and some absolutely phenomenal Psalms, as we just read there. Um, it's amazing. I'll never forget, before I get to your comments there, I'll never forget. I'll never, ever forget seeing this for the first time. And I saw this. In 1992, in my own private Bible study, prayer, prayer time, my own private time with the Lord, reading Psalm 69, and all of a sudden, there it was. This is Yeshua speaking. This is Yeshua speaking. The whole Psalm. The whole Psalm. Just like Psalm 22, too. In fact, I'll go, I'll go as far as to say every Psalm with the, perhaps the, Odd exception. Every psalm is Yeshua speaking. We have lots of the words in red. And red letter Bible should have this red. Should have most, if not all, of the psalms in red letters. They should. Absolutely. So, Word of God. And obviously, according to the Gospels, it is Yeshua speaking first person. I'm just wondering if I should... You see, Yeshua, late first century, early second century, people start were really deifying Yeshua. Like, I mean, to the point where it's like he's not a human, right? Like he's he is like just some uh, like an angel or God, like he's God that come. Uh, you know, he's he's a spirit um, and not a human. Uh, this kind of thing. That's why one John said. So many times uh, in in the book of one John, it says so many times that uh, it's it's so important to acknowledge that that Jesus came in the flesh. You see, a lot of people don't see don't understand what that means because they don't understand the context of that. See, the context is that you know when when Yeshua was walking this earth, everybody saw him as a human. He was a human when he was born he was a human when he was a child he was a, he was just like anybody else he was just he was he was a human it wasn't until i mean he did according to the uh, you know the arabic um, infancy gospels and some of the other infancy gospels and and uh, this kind of thing some of the early writings of his early life obviously he was a special child but not so special that that every not so special that everybody 
undeniably received him as special. Some people thought that he was like, like how we read in the gospel. Some people thought that he was, oh yeah, we know, we know this, we know, we know Jesus. We know his, his family. We know his father. We know his brothers and sisters. Like, so what, what's special about him? Right. Um, don't get me wrong. I think he was very special. And I think that it's a good possibility that some of those miracles that have, that is recorded in the infancy gospels, uh, actually did occur. Um, so I'm not saying that, but here's the thing. You go from, from that point of view where he's like, just like the, obviously a lot of the Pharisees in the gospels that were, that were speaking to Jesus, they didn't see anything special about him at all. Obviously they're like, you know, you're just some other guy, or at least at, at the, at the best, you're just some other rabbi. Um, but so it went from that kind of view viewpoint to you know decades after he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven decades after the fact he became more and more super spiritual like more and more superhuman more and more like god you know uh, i mean to the point where it's like uh like he's not human um so that's why in the book of 1 John, it says, you know, uh, any spirit that does not testify that Yeshua come in the flesh, meaning come in the sinful nature. You look it up. That word flesh, this, uh, sarks in the Greek is the same word that's used for sinful nature. It's the same word that Paul talks about. Okay, it's the same word. So. You think about that for a minute. I mean, it's it's a very, very powerful thought. And I know I'm kind of taking this slow, but I think I need to take it slow just to just to digest it and for you guys to think about it as well. Perhaps, you know, you want to add some extra comments in there. But 1 John, the book of 1 John made it extremely clear, crystal clear, that you had that the truth is. Jesus came in the sark. He came in the sinful nature. He was 100% human. Now, you, some people say he's 100% human and 100% God. Well, how do you, then you get into the Trinity thing, right? So, um, It also says in the New Testament that he is the firstborn from the dead, or he is the, well, put it this way. If you are born again, if you truly are born again, born of the Spirit, then you are his brothers and sisters. You are his brothers and sisters, which means you share in the exact same nature as, as, as what he had. Just as he was human, so you are. And just as he just as he was born of God, so you were. That's what born again is is really all about. It's a very, very phenomenal and prof profound thing to, to, to think about, to meditate on. 
But hey, I mean, you read it. You read it in the in the Gospels how he was treated, how he was viewed. Now, as time went on, he was more and more like after the fact, again, decades after the fact, he was more and more spiritualized, more and more. What I mean by spiritualized is, is uh, like more like more like a mythical figure, more like, um, you know, some angel or something to that effect or some God that's, that's fully God, but not fully human at the same time or fully God, but not human at all. Um, like this kind of thing, right? So that's why it was such a big deal in the book of 1 John. said to anybody who does not confess that Yeshua came in the sinful nature, in the flesh, is not of God or is not telling the truth or is, not, or is actually an antichrist, right? That's how you can tell who, the, who, an anti, who, ha, who is an antichrist is someone who does not admit that. And so when I, when I go as far as to say what I've said here earlier, that... I believe Yeshua was not perfect for a long time. Perhaps you could you could you you could you could say he was made perfect, as it says in Hebrews. He was made perfect. In other words, he became perfect through sufferings, like it says in Hebrews. So that tells you that he wasn't at one point in time he wasn't, but then he you know so he wasn't perfect. So he would make mistakes. He he would sin and this kind of thing. But over over time, through his sufferings, he became perfect. And again, I don't want to be over-redundant here, but the prophecy of Nathan to David about the son of David, the whole whole concept of the son of David, the whole son of David thing came from that prophecy to David, Nathan's prophecy. The whole idea that Jesus was the Messiah and the son of David, the whole idea of who the Messiah was and the son of David, what that means that comes from that prophecy, and that prophecy tells us very clear: he will sin, and he will re- he will be repro- he will be disciplined, reproved for that sin. That's what it says. And on top of that, Psalm sixty nine. Obviously, over and over again, it's first person Jesus speaking. And what did he say? Right? Verse 3, verse 5. Verse 5. What did he say? Right? So, in saying what I'm saying, I am more in line with what first John says than most other Christians. I am more in line with saying that Jesus came in the sinful nature, came in the flesh than most other Christians. Okay, let's see what we have here in the comments. I see you guys are chatting away. Chatting away. Takarko, good to see you. Good to see you back. It's been a while. Hope everything is good with you. Um says, hello, I have one question regarding um, rapture and second coming. Are those two separate events or one and the same? Thanks in advance. So they are one and the same. Um, 
I explained this uh, several times actually uh, over the course of several months. I do believe when Yeshua does come back, those who are alive and remain, as as even Paul said in in Thessalonians, uh, will be caught up together with him in the clouds. Okay, so I do believe that. Do I believe in a rapture of people that just disappear and there's a pile of clothes and planes falling out of the sky and cars crashing and and yada, 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 all this stuff going on seven years before the fact? No, because it says in the scriptures that um, there will be a people who will be taken away. But in context, you read it in Matthew 24, Yeshua said, There'll be people taken away, right? One, two in the mill, one taken, the other left, two in, you know, two in the field, one taken, the other left. But he also talked about how people were taken away by the flood of Noah. Hint, hint. Taken away means to be to, to pass away. Um, Isaiah 57, verse 1, you know, righteous men are taken away. Good men they perish they die and nobody understands that they're they are taken away from the evil to come the book of Joshua chapter 5 makes it even more clear it says that the lord waited until all of the righteous men on the earth with the exception of noah's family that all of the righteous men died first before the flood came so they had to be taken away in death before the flood came and the last of the righteous men to die was methuselah his name means actually, his actual name means his death shall bring. Methuselah means, is Hebrew for his death shall bring. So yes, I do believe there is a taken away years before, you know, several years before uh, the second coming. And I believe that's happening right now, actually. I believe that people, you look at, even 50 years ago, just 50 years ago, there were a lot more righteous people on earth. There were a lot more righteous people on earth. In the past, even just uh, not long, just 20 years, you see, how many, how many churches have closed, and have closed their doors? Because nobody attending anymore. Why? Because the people were taken away. The crowd became elderly and they just, they, well, they just started perishing dying off okay uh, and they're left with hardly anybody right just a few people uh, you know a hand three or four people in in a huge church they close their doors we see that all over the place in fact not too far from as i just around my local area here is church upon church upon church that is closed in recent years so i believe that the the taking away is happening now Righteous people are being taken away. And I think that's why there is so much corruption just um what's the what's the word I'm um, I'm looking for now? Just saturating the, the the world right now. There's so much corruption saturating the world right now because the salt is being taken away. The salt is being taken out of the meat. The meat's rotting. The food is rotting. The earth is rotting right now because the salt is being taken away bit by bit. Now, do I believe there will be people that will go through the quote-unquote tribulation? Sure, for sure there will be. 
just like Noah's family went through the flood, right? They'll have, there'll be a remnant that goes through. Yes, absolutely. Fully protected, for sure. God always protects his people. So yeah, they are, it depends on how you translate it there to Karko. Very good question. But yes, the rapture, as most people understand it, uh, is post-tribulation at the second coming. Thank you very much. That's a good question. One John says, I think that Yeshua was very, quote, just the facts when dealing with sinners. If their feelings were hurt or they felt guilty, that's on them. Stop sinning. Yeah, exactly. Yes, absolutely. George, 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 please come back to reality. Please come back to reality. He says, I appreciate your discourse, but Yeshua was nice. Okay. Uh, just uh, just yesterday, we dealt with this whole thing, okay? We spent an enormous amount of time talking about it. I'm not going to go over it again today. If you're really honest about this, if, you really, if you're really honest, go to the last video that I did, the last video that was streamed on YouTube, okay? You'll see it. Just in a nutshell, okay? I'm not going to go through the details again. Please go back to the video to get the details, but just in a nutshell, just check out, again, I... I <laughs> I made I, I brought a lot of points earlier. It's right out of the scriptures how people got angry with him everywhere he went. If he was nice, why would they get angry with him? They wanted him crucified by the end. Why would they they wanted they wanted to do him in time and time again? They wanted to they want they wanted him done. Why would they do that if he was nice to them? Of course he wasn't nice to them. Read John chapter 8. He called them liars, he called them murderers. He, he said they don't know him. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know God. He, he's, they're children of the devil. They are slaves of sin. He's, there are 10 points, 10 things he layered. I, I guarantee you, George, guarantee you, if you're a pastor and you preach, if, you, if, you, if you're that quote unquote nice, okay, if you're that nice to your congregation, <laughs> God help you. Why? Because you're in trouble. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to get some backlash. Let me just put it that way, okay? They're not going to think you're nice at all. If you treat people and talk to people like Jesus did, Please, George, I beg you, come out, come, come to reality, okay? Get out of your little nicey, nicey little Christian bubble and come to reality. Yeshua was not nice. He even he himself said he he the world hated him. Why would the world hate him? Old famous old pastor, uh, preacher, evangelist said this, and he said, if Jesus preached the same way that preachers preach today. He would never have been crucified. And I say, amen to that. Great big amen to that. Because the preachers today, they're so nice. Oh, God loves you. Oh, you know, oh, you know, and it, they talk behind your back, mind you. But they're so nice and uh, good to see you. They're so nice today. They don't call out sin. They don't, they certainly don't call people liars and murderers from the pole, calling their their uh, their congregation members, members of their congregation, the things that Jesus called people, 
He called Herod a fox. He 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 regularly called called people hypocrites. That was his favorite thing. Can you imagine if a pastor goes around regularly calling people hypocrites all the time? Not only that, but he he called like one of the rulers of the land. He called Herod a fox. And a poor lady that came wanting a miracle from him, he called her a dog. Nice. Yes, George. I I would I differ I differ on that viewpoint from from you can say it's nice. You want to call it nice? Okay. Well, that's nice to you, but certainly it isn't nice to me and it's not nice to uh, almost 100% of everybody else. Probably 100% of everybody else. If not close to it. So, it's certainly not nice to most people. The court of public opinion would not agree with you, George. One John says, that's all I hear from the antinomians. Let's just, uh, just let's love one another. That's what's most, that's what's important. It gags me after a while. You know what? It wouldn't be so, it wouldn't be so bad if they actually practiced what they preached. It wouldn't be so bad if they actually practiced what they preached. Because I find that (laughs) these people, honestly, guys, honestly, the people that go around saying, you know, all we got, you know, that our our calling is just to is just to uh, to be an extension of God's unconditional love and acceptance of everyone. Uh, you know, let's just you know uh, let's just show God's unconditional love and acceptance to everyone. And if you call out if you call out anybody for their sin, excuse me, if you, if you call out anybody. If you do a little bit, like one-tenth of one percent of what Jesus did in calling people hypocrites, even not only not just Jesus, but I mean, we got the uh, disciples as well. We got the early church fathers as well, calling people all kinds of names. Okay? So you got, you got people calling out sin like that, even a little bit. They'll say, oh, but you're not loving. You're not, you're not showing God's love, unconditional love and acceptance. Acceptance to people. They are the worst hypocrites. I have never in my days ever yet. Okay, I've been around a little bit. Uh, been, uh, I'm, I've been around a little bit. Okay, I've helped plant churches. I've planted churches. I've pastored churches. I've been associate or fill-in pastor. I've, I've been around. I've been around a little bit. Okay. Um. And I'll tell you the truth. When you meet someone who's who says that that they're all about showing people uh, God's unconditional love and acceptance, and if they and if they judge other people for not showing God's unconditional love and acceptance, they're the first ones to block you, to unfriend you, to ignore you, to slander you, to gossip about you, to reject you. Guaranteed. Especially if you show if you if you start preaching the truth to them. Guaranteed. You know, it's like it's like these people that say, oh, you know, we just gotta show God's unconditional love and acceptance to everybody. And I'm like, hey, you know what? God doesn't unconditionally love and accept everybody. What are you talking about? And they kick me out. It's like 
you just prove what I'm what I'm saying. You actually, if you think you're a reflection of God, well, guess what? You just proved what I just said. You are not unconditionally loving or loving or accepting me. Therefore, your actions are a reflection of my words. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's so hypocritical and ironic, but these people just don't see it. I'll tell you a true story. A true story. Some of you, you've heard this before. This is a true story. Several years ago, uh, in a local church, I went to meet a pastor. Can you believe it? Went to meet a pastor in one of the one of the larger churches. One of the larger churches, and not a smaller church, a larger, perhaps even the largest church in around. Okay, not around, not in the world. Just within my general vicinity. Okay, uh, one of the larger churches. So I went to meet a pastor, and I was talking to him about uh, evangelizing and that kind of thing. I was talking to him about about being salt and light to the to the earth and about you know um calling people to repent and i said you know you got these people that are out there on the street and they're like they're calling people to repent i said you know that's awesome and he's like well no 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 they're not they don't show that's not right because they're they're not showing people the unconditional love and acceptance of god i'm like well you know they're they're preaching the word of god they're trying they're 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 trying to get people to repent of their sins and you know to come to god no but they're not doing it right they're not doing it right because they are not a true reflection of god's unconditional love and acceptance they they are they are not showing people the god's unconditional love and acceptance so i said okay what are you doing well, blah, 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 kind of fumbling around his words and stuff. I said, well, true story. This is a true story, by the way. I said, well, what you're doing is not working. I kid you not. He got up and he stood up and he pointed at the door and he said to me, get out and never come back. So I stood up and I started heading for the door. And on my way out, I said, thank you very much for showing me God's unconditional love and acceptance, you hypocrite. <laughs> exactly what I was just saying, one John. These same loving Christians wouldn't do jack for someone on street um, needing help, hypocrites. Fearfully confident. Very interesting question. Very interesting. Do, do most Christians focus on death, burial, uh, and resurrection and pretty much ignore what he taught? I find this to be a very good and very interesting question because the answer is yes. But the reason is even more interesting because the reason is they're Paulians. They only believe what Paul said. And Paul focused on the death, burial, and resurrection, but not what Jesus taught. Why? Because Paul didn't, Paul wasn't there. He wasn't, he wasn't, he probably didn't know much about what Jesus taught. The only thing he said, the only thing he quoted about what Jesus taught was actually wrong. I mean, in the quote, 
He said, Jesus said, is quote, he said, Jesus said, quote, it's better to give than to receive, unquote. Okay, Paul, sounds good. Sounds good. Where did Jesus say that? Where did Jesus say, quote, it's better to give than to receive, unquote. What gospel, what chapter, what verse? Paul didn't know much about, that's why he didn't, he didn't mention even the virgin birth. He didn't mention the virgin birth. He didn't mention the birth of Jesus, even, even if it is virgin or whatever kind of birth. He didn't mention whatever. He didn't, he didn't mention the birth of Jesus. He didn't mention the childhood of Jesus. He didn't mention the baptism. He didn't mention the teachings of Jesus. He didn't say, you know, when I said he didn't mention the baptism of Jesus, what I mean is he didn't say that, you know, that Jesus was baptized and God said, you know, behold, my beloved son, you know, listen to him. In whom I am well pleased. Paul did not bring out any of the teachings of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount, not, not there. Why? Because Paul wasn't there. Maybe he didn't even know it was taught. Maybe he didn't even know. Probably it's a good it's a good chance he didn't know. He wasn't taught, he wasn't there. He didn't seem to fancy too much being around the disciples to learn much from them, so. Hey, that's the reason why most Christians focus on the death, and, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection, because that's what Paul focuses on. They don't focus on the teaching of Jesus. Now, if Paul knew about the teaching of Jesus and he didn't write it down, then that's just that's just quite deceptive, because he, at least in the way that most people understand him. Was, is completely against what Jesus taught in regards to salvation. Excellent question, fearfully confident. It's excellent. George says, Amen. Uh, Father, be magnified always. Every victory and lesson shall praise your holy name. Yes, amen, amen. Again, so, uh, so much of the live chat I cannot get to because you guys are, you guys are, it's getting, uh, you guys, there's a lot of, lots that's going on there in the live chat. So, yeah, one John, I am aware of that. I've heard it. I heard that, you know, I don't know what to, I mean, it's just, it's just extending what, what's already going on from like from conception until, until birth is hard is bad enough. It is, yeah, it's it's horrific. Um I you know, I horrific. George, I mean, this is one of the most confusing. I understand what you I I know where you're coming from. I know where you're coming from, but if you under, if you actually knew what you're saying, you know how can how confused this is. Um, he is the Son of God. He is superhuman. And he has he has ascended past human boundaries. Okay, so that right there is against the idea that 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 Christ came in the flesh or that Jesus came in the flesh. Okay, because Jesus came in the flesh. That's talking about what that means is he actually took he. 
he partook in sinful nature. Okay. He was like a human, just like anybody else, just like anybody else. That's what it means. Okay. So then you go on to say Christ came in the flesh. Okay. I know you got to add that in there or else, you know, you, you don't, uh, you don't pass the test, but what you said before that goes against what you're saying. And he knew no sin. Sin is the only thing that brings death. And what it, what it is, what corrupts our body brings disease and destruction. If the scriptures are true that he actually did sin, if the scriptures are true, if second Samuel, Psalm 69, Hebrews, and the connections that are made in the gospels, if it's true, if that, if all these all these scriptures are true that he actually did sin, first of all, you need to realize that if you sin, the 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 way out of it, the atonement, is repentance. In other words, if you repent, none of your past sins will be counted against you. It will be all wiped out, forgotten. Okay. So if he did sin and he repented according to the law of God, then his then he would have no sin, figuratively speaking, just like you or I. If we repented according to the word of God, our sins are wiped away. That is the gospel. That's the gospel that Yeshua taught. Yeshua preached that. And the 12 disciples preached that as well. First thing he taught was repentance. It's the last thing he taught to his church. That's the last thing he preached to his church was repentance. George says, Jesus never sinned. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, so 2 Samuel is, 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 is a lie, right? And uh, the Psalms are a lie. And uh, Hebrews is a lie. And the connections that's made through the Gospels are a lie. Okay, well, I mean, if you want to believe that, then, you know, uh, as for me, I mean, I want to, I want to look at it from a, a very objective point of view and read it and understand it for what it really says. I want to open my mind. I understand how hard it is to admit that what you have believed is wrong. It can be emotionally trauma, tra uh, traumatic. I understand how hard it is because you got to swallow your pride. You've got to admit, hey, you know what? I'm not perfect in everything. I believe something that was a lie. I thought it was true. But if you come to the table with humility, with an open mind, willing to learn, willing to look at all of the evidence, without putting on the blinders just to protect your own dearly, dearly held beliefs, you will find the truth. Carefully confident, um, Yeshua made a whip and overturned tables. <laughs> That's how nice he was, George. That's how nice he was. You try, well, you know what, don't do it, but just imagine it. Make a whip in your mind and go into a church and overturn the pews. And you see how many people go, oh, George, you're so nice. You're so nice. George says the world hates truth because truth exposes us. Apparently, you don't really like it that much either because you're really kicking against the goads here, aren't you? 
Apparently, you don't like it that much either. Instead of making statements of, you know, instead of making statements, I would suggest asking questions. I would suggest asking good questions. I know all the statements you're making. I mean, don't I, trust me. I come. I, I know it very well. Fearfully confident. Yeah, he says he knows who are the synagogue of Satan. That's not. That's not exactly nice. Yeah, and you read about how he says he's going to kill some people's children. That's not exactly nice either, right? I know, but you see, maybe to George, that's nice. Maybe that's nice. But I understand, like people, like there's so many people that they would read that and they would they would automatically just it's like the veil comes up. It's like the veil in their hearts, right? The veil comes up and they they don't look at it for what it really says. They they're like yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but and they're like they they purposefully blind themselves to what. The truth stares them right in the face, and they purposefully blind themselves to that just to protect their dearly held beliefs. You see this idea that God loves everybody the same and treats everybody the same. I mean, God, that thing, I, I tell you, between that and the bibliolatry in the church, those are the two main things that produces atheists. Atheists are, are the product of this nonsense. God loves everyone the same. God, unacceptable love and accept. Really, tell that to Ananias and Sapphira. Tell that to Herod, you know, the guy that, he, that God struck and he, ate, he, he was eaten up by worms right there on the spot. Yeah, tell that to him. Tell that to Elymas, who was struck blind by the Lord. Oh, Elemis, God loves you so much. Yeah, God struck you blind. <laughs> he took away your sight. He loves you. And nice and Sapphira, you know, sorry, your children, they don't have a mother and father, you know, and, they, and your, your friends and family, <laughs> we all got to bury you. Don't get me wrong, okay? God bless it. I, I believe what the scriptures say. Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you follow his instructions, you follow his law, you, you follow his word, you will be blessed above, abundantly above all. He, he will be the best friend you've ever had. He will love you more than you could ever imagine. He will love you more than you could ever, ever imagine. Love that surpasses anything comprehensible, without a doubt. However, if you don't follow his instructions and you come against his laws and his word, then he will come against you according to his own word. Ask the people of the flood. Ask the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Ask the people of Pompeii. Ask Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. Ask those in the that who who will be recipients of God's wrath, as per Book of Revelation. And you know what, George? You say God is merciful to the repentant. Amen. Yes, amen. Big, great, big amen to that. That's what I've been preaching for all this time. That is what I've been saying for years. 
Always. God is merciful to the repentant. To the unrepentant, that's a different story. 1 John says, great story. Thank you very much, 1 John. It's a true story. Six hundred thirteen commands. I hear this so often. Uh, Mike says six hundred thirteen for uh, commands, four hundred ninety forgives per day. Um, you know, it's, as far as the forgives, it's that's that's the figure of speech. Obviously, it's not it's not that's not a literal mathematical equation. Um, however, if you want to take it math- mathematical, that's fine. Uh, I mean, that, that'll cover pretty much everything. I hope. I hope. But the six hundred thirteen thing, I hear this. You hear this regularly from people who are not very familiar with where it comes from, okay? And so this is the idea, right? Christians have taken this 613 thing, and I said, did I say 619? 613 thing, um, and they use it as a a sales pitch for Jesus. Jesus Jesus does not need a salesman, especially a sales pitch that's not true. Jesus is all, he, he can do very well on his own. But especially when Christians make sales, they fabricate sales pitches, selling points that are not true. Then that's when it's, it's, it's trouble. So this whole thing, the Christian thing, excuse me, the Christian thing goes like this. Excuse me. The Christian thing said the Christian Christians say, well, there's 613 commands. Whoa, and you cannot obey all of those. That's why you need Jesus. Because you break one, you break them all, and that's it. That's why you need Jesus. But first of all, these Christians who parrot this, they do not realize, they're not aware, they're not informed. That this 613 thing actually comes from the Talmud. It's not biblical. It's not in the scriptures. God never said that he gave 613 commands. That's a thing of man. It's from the scripture. It's from the Talmud, excuse me. It's from the Talmud. Some ancient rabbi, he, he claims that he counted 613 commands. According to Chabad.org, one of the largest Jewish websites in the world today, that number, 613, even amongst the Jewish scholars, is highly debated. It's hotly debated because some other Jewish scholars and rabbis say that they've, they've also counted the commands. And they say it's not 613. Some would say it's more. Some would say it's a lot less. For example, for example, the Ten Commandments, they say, are actually 14 commandments. Depends on how you count them. Okay? So, also, according to the Torah, the vast majority of those 613 commands are not for you. They're for the Levitical priesthood at the temple. 
obviously not you, unless, Mike, you are a Levitical priest and there stands a temple on the, in, 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 in Israel today. If that's the case, and if you're there at the temple, the third temple, then yeah, a lot of them would apply to you. But I, I highly suspect that that doesn't apply to you. I highly suspect that you're not a Levitical priest at the third temple right now. Furthermore, of the very of the few commands that are left after you subtract all of the Levitical priesthood commands, those few that are left, a lot of them are only for women. A lot of them are for mothers alone. A lot of them are for children alone. A lot of them are for the strangers in the land. A lot of them are for native-born. Some of them are for men. Some of them are for women. Some of them are for children. Some of them are for farmers alone. When it all comes, it all boils down to this. Out of those so-called 613 commands, although that's used and abused way too much by Christians today, it's so ironic and hypocritical because these same Christians don't even know where that comes from. It comes from the Talmud that they actually say is, is, is not legit. So they take something that they say is not legit and they say it's legit. Good going. Good going. So out of the very few that's left, and by, uh, by the way, I don't count them because God doesn't count them. If God does not enumerate commandments, I'm not going to. I don't believe it's, it's godly. I don't think it's his will to, to enumerate commands. Whether it's 50, 60, 70, 80, or 20 commands that, that applies to you and I today, I don't believe it's, it's good or God's will to enumerate, it, enumerate them because he did it. It's not in the scriptures. It's not counted. Certain things we're supposed to count, other things we're not supposed to count. And I think commandments are one of those things we're not supposed to count. But of the very few commands that are in effect and applicable to people today, of those very few commandments, they're very easy to obey. Extremely easy to obey. That's why God said in Deuteronomy 30 verse 11, these commands are not too difficult for you. And indeed, they're not difficult. God is not an unreasonable tyrant to bark out commands to his beloved people that he knows can't obey them just to show them how much of a sinner they are. That's not what, that's not, that's, that's what men teach. That's what, that's, that's what Christian leaders teach, not what the scriptures teach. It says over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, we've read it. We've read it. Since we started reading Genesis, we've read it all the way through to, to the life of David now. It says over and over and over again, God told you exactly why he gave, gave you those commandments. It's not to show you how much of a sinner you are. It says, so that it will go well with you. He gives you his laws, his commands, so that it will go well with you. If it's not going well with you, you need to ask yourself a question. Where did I go wrong? What commands, oh Lord, did I mess up? What commands have I missed? What did I, what did I violate? What, what sins have I committed? How did I transgress your law? 
Father. And, uh, so, yeah, Mike thinks it's Paul that wrote Hebrews. <sighs> Again, that's debatable. I personally think it's probably not. It's probably one of his homies that wrote it, but someone that's that's actually, that really had Paul influence. But it doesn't. It's got a lot of different things that Paul wouldn't say either. The the marks, the signature of Paul is not on it like it is the rest of it. It's a big topic, Mike. If you're very interested in it, check out the uh, videos that I made on it. Okay, lots and lots of chat here. Let's see what's going on. <laughs> One John says, overturn the pews. Yes. Can't you see it happening? Vita, Vita, good to see you. Says, shalom, Elohim, bless you all. Elohim, bless you more. Multiplied back to you. Hope everything's going well with you. George says, you are assuming that I care to protect my dearly held beliefs. Um, no, I'm not assuming it. It's quite evident. Justin says, is there an easy list of laws we should follow? Well, yes, actually there is. Um, I'm just trying to think how easy do you want it to be? There are different levels, okay? So, um, the greatest, if you like, all of the laws can be boiled down to, you can say like the Ten Commandments, right? And they can be boiled down to the Noahide laws or the, or the laws of Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 21, basically four different laws, four different laws. And when I say boiled down to, I mean, kind of, um, some, like, what did I say? Trunk, trunk, short formed, I guess you might call it in a way. Like not to have idols, like the four different laws of, of Acts chapter 50, not to have idols, you know, not to eat blood, as it says in um, Acts chapter 15, uh, not to eat anything strangled. Okay. These are the uh, actually the uh, kosher laws, the uh, dietary laws, and also uh, sexual immorality as well. Okay, that can be boiled down to like two, like the uh, you can say, um, uh, the, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love uh, love others as yourself. You can also take it down to one law and just simply repent. Right. So um, it depends where you are, Justin, because like someone would say, well, okay, one law, repent. Okay, so if you know what that means, then awesome. And someone might say, well, what does that mean? Well, it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as yourself. So you say, well, what does that mean? Well, how do you do that? Well, then you go into the laws of what I, what I call the ancient form of the Noahide laws or the four laws of Acts chapter 15. You see, in Acts chapter 15, the Gentiles were pouring into the church, pouring into the fellowship, and they were wondering how... You know, what are we going to do with these Gentiles? Because, you know, it's like, can Gentiles even get saved? Like, are, can they even get saved? And if they can, what are they What are they supposed to do to get saved? Like, do they have to be, you know, that's basically the whole, the whole thing of the, they call it the Council of Jerusalem. Um, and they, 
basically they came uh, at the, at the very end. Um, ultimately James laid down the law, literally four laws. So this is what Gentiles are supposed to do. And those are the ones that I just mentioned. Um, but if you want to go beyond that, you got the Ten Commandments. You want to go beyond that, okay? If you say, "Hey, you know what? Ten Commandments. I think I got those down pat. I'm pretty good with that. You know, all that stuff. I want to. I want to move on. I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to go deeper than this. I want to do more." Well, um, in that case, what I would say is, you know, read through, read through the Tanakh. Read through the the Bible from Genesis. Like when I say the Tanakh, um, usually that would be the Old Testament of the uh, what Christians call the Old Testament. In the uh, in the New Testament days, in Jesus' day, or the the days of the twelve disciples, the days of the Book of Acts, the so called Old Testament was not called Old Testament. It was called the, you know the Scriptures or the Tanakh. Um, so as you read through that, you know. The bottom line is this, God does not require anything of you that you cannot do. If you can't do it, it's not required of you. Okay. Um, like for example, um, Deuteronomy chapter 14, it talks about um, the tithes, right? If you can't bring it, because you see the, the law says you're supposed to bring the tithe is like um, a tithe can be of the animals of the, of the flocks or of the, the crops of the field or money. But you're supposed to bring the tithe to the place the Lord chooses, which would be the temple, okay? So Deuteronomy chapter 14 deals with the question, what if we just can't bring it to the temple for some reason? Maybe we live too far away or we are too far away. We're visiting a distant relative or a friend in a distant land. What if we can't bring the tithe? In Deuteronomy 14, Basically, it says, "Don't worry about it. Just okay. Sell, sell your tithe, and you know, have a have a great time. You know, just enjoy." Okay, so God is a God of 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 love. He's a God of freedom. Um, to those who are, of course, and to those who are humble, and to those who are repentant. But see, um, the gist of the Torah is: do what you can. If you read the law of God, you say, hey, it says this. Oh, you know, this applies to me. It's very much, let me just let me just sum it up like this. Justin, it's an awesome question. Very good question. Let me sum it up by this. I'll make it as simple as possible. The, the, the law of God, the Torah, is very much like the law of the land. If you're walking down the street, the laws of piloting an airplane does not apply to you. Okay? If you're driving, if you're if you're driving a car, the laws of pilot, piloting an airplane does not apply to you. It's, that's just a given. Nobody, you don't have to. You know, nobody has to tell you that, right? You're like, you know, it's not like if you pull in the parking lot, you know, the cops come and say, "Hey, you know, what are you doing landing on this runway? I'm going to give you a ticket." The air traffic control told you to to land other in somewhere else. No, of course not. It's just ridiculous, right? Um, and so that's the thing. Um, with the Torah, as you familiar, familiarize yourself with it, as you get more familiar with God's law, you will understand, oh, yeah, of course, this doesn't apply to me. I, you know, I'm you know, just like how the laws of the land today. If you're riding a bicycle, you don't obey the laws of, 
you know, pedestrians, for example, um, you know, you don't ride a bicycle on right on the sidewalk and right through the, and you just, you can, but I mean, you're not supposed to, it's not good. Don't do it. Um, so once you get familiar with the, with the instructions and laws of God, uh, you'll, you see it clearer and clearer. Oh yeah, I can do that. This, you know, this law is for men and I'm a man and, um, yeah, I can do that. Uh, and this law is for, you know, well, this law is for the Le- the Le- the Levitical priests in the in the temple in Jerusalem. Well, I'm not there, and I'm not Levite, so it doesn't apply to me. Yeah, sure, no problem. Jordan, brother Jordan says, "Shalom, brother. Hope I'm not too late. Not too late, Jordan. Not too late. Good to see you." I know I'm just kind of jumping in on the conversation, guys, so sorry if I am doing this. I, I actually I haven't read the whole conversation, but I see this um, from one John says uh, to George says, uh, you make out God to be a remote machine. I don't see it that way. I see a God that can have hurt feelings and uh, can be disrespected and be angry. And he himself said that he gets jealous. Um, it is easier to obey him if you recognize he has feelings. Oh yeah. I mean, feelings come from God. Feelings come from God. Anything, I mean, the lack of feelings is actually from the devil. <laughs> when you, if you don't have any feelings, I mean, that's, that's very, very evil. Uh, feelings is part of life and light. And that's part of God. Uh, God certainly does have feelings. You read it throughout the scriptures. Uh, uh, I'm not sure again, what, what the what the whole context is there, but if anybody who thinks that God doesn't have feelings, again, probably somebody who's more immersed in Paul than they are in the Tanakh. So if that's the case, I understand how they how they can think like that. But I would I would encourage everyone to get more immersed in the Tanakh because that's the foundation. Justin says, interesting. Thank you. Well, thank you for your question. Very good question. Question for Move says, hey, there's still prophets going around, and I just don't know if they are not rejecting them. I don't accuse them of anything, just don't know. I wouldn't be commenting the unforgivable sin, right? If you say that you you don't know if someone is a prophet, you're, that's not the unforgivable sin. No, uh, actually, you are actually commanded to test all the prophets. So, if someone says that they are a prophet, and by the way, if anybody says they're a prophet, guaranteed they're not a prophet. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea didn't go around going, "I am a prophet." Hello, I am a prophet. No, um, true prophets are humble. They don't go around trumpeting that they're prophets. Um, but yes. Um, there are people, a lot of people that believe that they hear from God and they believe that they are prophets or that they believe that they, they do hear from God or they believe they have the gift of prophecy, this kind of thing. And that is, you've got to test it. Um, I have been two decades in charismatic slash Pentecostal churches, and I know a lot about, well, I've seen, let me just put it this way. I've seen a little bit. 
about I've seen a little bit of people thinking that they can hear from God all the time or prophesying over people. I have received probably thousands of prophecies. Just rough estimate. Um, so yeah, uh, my advice to you, if anybody prophesies to you or prophesies or claims to be a prophet and says something, test it thoroughly. Test it thoroughly. Do not believe it. Don't. And if you, if you, and this is what happens a lot, especially in charismatic churches, you know, they get, um, you know, they feel so good when they have this person speak this word over it. So they, so they believe that the spirit of God is actually witnessing to them that this, that this prophecy is true. Not always the case. Your feelings are not the compass. The word of God is the compass. The word of God is the compass. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses one through five. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Um, any, anybody who comes leading you away from the God of Moses, the God of the Bible, is a false prophet. Anybody who says so, such and such will happen and it doesn't happen is a false prophet. Regardless of how much they try to cover it up after the fact. You know, well, it, it did happen. No, it didn't. <laughs> Just be honest. It didn't happen. I've seen so much of it. I've seen so much of it. Now, having said that, very rare. It's rare, but it is there. <laughs> it, it exists. True prophecy. What I mean by that is, I'm not talking about somebody who is a prophet. I'm just saying someone who has a gift of prophecy and they actually speak a word of prophecy over you and it really is true. And it can be proven to be true. And there's no other way for them to know apart from God. There's no, I mean... Chance is not even is the chances are very, very slim, like one in <laughs> millions for them to actually know it or say this certain thing without without God showing them. Um, so yes, I I I have witnessed, I have experienced um true prophecy. It's very rare. Um but it does exist. The spirits, um, the gifts of the spirit is still in operation today, but v v much rarer than people would like to believe. Test it. Whenever you have um, a prophecy spoken over you or someone like that, file it under unknown, file it under not untested, unverified. Just, fi just file it under unverified. And no, that's not blaspheming the Spirit of God. That's being prudent. That's being wise. But Paul went around trumpeting that he was an apostle. Yeah. You know what that reminds me of? Um, I saw, it was last night. Okay. I saw last night. I was going through some uh, TikTok um, comments. Uh, it was actually on Will's TikTok page, and I saw it was one of these top 
well, not top one, one of these more famous or more well-known Christian TikTokers. Uh, and he was, he was commenting on Will's page on his videos. And he was like, I forget exactly the, the exact words he used. Like the, like to, I'm not going to quote him verbatim, but it was, it was something like, well, Paul is true because, and he quotes Paul. Well, Paul is, is a true, like, you know, apostle or Paul is, he, he uses Paul to verify, verify Paul. It's like, like, are you serious? So you believe just because, so if someone comes and says, I'm a, I'm a true prophet of God, that means they're a true prophet of God just because they say it. No. And that it reminds me of, you know, even Yeshua said, if I testify myself, my testimony means nothing. If you are self-proclaimed, well, take it with a grain of salt, right? So, yeah, uh, you can't use Paul to... to um, verify Paul. You can't use Paul to 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 give Paul credibility. You got to use other sources. Just as you, even Yeshua himself said, don't, you know, um if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Yeah, one John. They do it all the time. They use Paul to prove Paul. It's insanity. Yeah. It's like David Koresh is the Messiah. Well, how do you know? Because he said he's the Messiah. I don't know. I don't know, guys. Like, you can't use Paul to prove Paul. That's how it goes. When Isaiah was accepted as a legit prophet, he was not accept, he was not accepted as a legit prophet just because he said he was a prophet. He never said he was a prophet, by the way, but he was accepted as a legit prophet because it was proven. He was tried and tested that everything that he, that he said was in line with the the already established Torah, the already established scriptures. Same with Jeremiah. Same with Isaiah, Ezekiel. Ezekiel was not accepted as a true prophet just because he said he was a true prophet. In fact, he didn't say he was a true prophet either. He was accepted as a true prophet because his word or his writings, his message was tested, tried, and true to the rest of the established and well-known accepted scripture of his time. And likewise, with anybody else, be it Paul or in biblical or extra biblical, be it the shepherd of Hermas or whoever else, Clement or whoever else you you're you're reading, you you do not accept them as legit unless they are tested, tried, and true using the the scriptures that have been accepted as uh, true scripture before they ever come on the scene. They had to be, be. They had to have been in line with all of the scripture that came before them. 
Question four move says, I have someone in accusing me saying that religion isn't facts. It's just a belief. I'm rude for saying that uh, the false religions are just lies of the devil. It got heated a little. What do I say? So the best thing, it depends on who this person is. If this person is someone who knows you personally, then show them. Show them that it's real. When I first came into the fold, so to speak, in 1992, when I first came into the fold, I hung out with people that I, before, before the fact, in my, in my darker days, I hung out with people that I, I thought were atheists, far from God, never, never talked about God, certainly didn't live the life. I thought for sure that once it came out that I was a believer, then they would just, you know, they would, they would come at, like come against me with, with, with their atheist, atheistic beliefs. But what happened in my life back in those days in 1992, so changed my life so changed me. They were actually coming to me, asking me what happened to me. They saw the proof. They saw the evidence. And none of them, not one of them, denied the existence of God. Not one of them. I was actually shocked. It was, it was, there was this one lady. I thought for sure she was just going to like, I thought for sure she would just just slap this athe atheistic, you know, um, jargon, like just start coming at me with athe with her atheism. I thought for sure she would. I mean, not for sure, but I, that's what I expected. And I'll never forget. It was like, it was like a, it was, a, I was awestruck because I was talking to her face to face. And she said to me, she said, you know, there is a God. So, I'm not sure all the content and the in the the context of your dialogue with this person, but if you know them personally, if you show them. Um, perhaps they will with you know they'll do exactly what some of those people did back in the day in my life they will actually see they will see the facts in you they'll see that you don't laugh at their jokes anymore that you don't you don't talk like you used to talk you don't walk like you used to walk so to speak you don't hang out with the people you used to hang out with. you don't watch the movies that you used to watch you don't listen to the music they used to listen to. You have a change. There's a, there's a powerful change that man cannot do. And they will, that is, that's the proof of, that's the proof that's, that's virtually undeniable. Very good question. Uh, question for move. Justin says, my friends say Peter vouched for Paul. I get this quite often as well. Here's the thing. Second Peter chapter three, verses 15, 16. You know, okay, so th this is the thing. 
the vast majority, and some people actually say all, Christian scholars will tell you that 2 Peter was not written by Peter. They don't know who it was that wrote it. It was anonymous to the... They just say they know it wasn't Peter. And they got a list of reasons why. You can look it up on the internet without going into all these reasons. But I mean, they have a list. They, they have they have evidence that they believe that they have. And this is, this is it's not just one scholar. The, these there are many scholars, Christian scholars, who say that they have they have sufficient evidence to believe that Second Peter was not written by Peter. So, um, I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to it. I, I, I'm kind of tempted to get into all that stuff, but I'm, I'm not going to get into that tonight. But there's a lot of evidence that they have. Um, and that's a, that's a heavy because, because it's supposed to be from Peter. And if it's not really from Peter, as most of the scholars say, then it's a forgery. And if you actually, if you actually check out the, the, uh, the scriptures, um, if you I should say, if you actually check out the book of Acts, compare that with the book of Galatians, Peter and Paul didn't have a very good, they didn't, didn't really have a very good, uh, they didn't, Paul wasn't the type of guy to get along with people very much. I mean, he, he, Barnabas couldn't stand him. They, they split John Mark. They split from John Mark as well. Uh, uh, Peter, uh, seemed like they had fallout. I mean, even Paul himself said in Galatians chapter two, uh, calling Peter more or less a hypocrite. Now, we don't have Peter's side of the story there, but Paul and Peter didn't seem to really be that mm, close. So for Peter to stand up for Paul and to say what he's allegedly said in Second Peter chapter 3, well, <laughs> it's questionable. Look at what Paul said about Peter. Now forget about the fallout that they had in second in Galatians chapter two. Let's just talk about what Paul said about Peter uh, about his relationship to the Gentiles versus versus the Jews. Okay, so Paul in 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 Galatians chapter two, Paul said, Galatians two verse seven, Paul said that he is called to the Gentiles and Peter his ministries to the Jews. Simple, Paul, Gentiles. Peter, not to the Gentiles, to the Jews, okay? He contrasts himself with Peter. I'm going to the Gentiles, Peter's ministry is to the Jews. In Galatians chapter 2, the very same chapter he said that, he, re he references his run-in with Peter and James in, in Acts chapter 15. It's clearly talking about the same event. Galatians 2, Acts chapter 15. Galatians 2, Paul says, I'm called, uh, my ministry is to the, uh, to the Gentiles and Peter's ministry is to the Jews. Acts chapter 15, the same verse actually, because Galatians 2, Galatians 2, 7 says that. But Acts chapter 15, verse 7 says, Peter's speaking, and he said, I, he said, you all know, you know that God shows me that by my mouth, 
that the Gentiles should hear the gospel. I am basically, basically what he was saying was, I am the, the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul was right there. He didn't deny it. He didn't, he didn't oppose it. He didn't say, oh, 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 what are you talking about, Peter? I am. No, he didn't say it. He didn't oppose it at all. Contradiction, yes. Paul seemed to paint Peter in a totally different light than what Peter said. Peter said the opposite to what Paul said. So in second, uh, in Galatians chapter 2, a little bit later, when Paul talks about his confrontation with Peter, about his uh, alleged hypocrisy, hmm, I'd be interested to know what Peter had to say about that. It might be the opposite. It might be, you think I'm a hypocrite? Paul's a hypocrite. He's the one that's, that's, that's living like a Gentile when he should be living like a Jew. He's the one that's telling people, oh, you know, when you're eating uh, meat sacrificed to idols, do it in secret. As long as other people don't see you, that, you know, uh, j just don't let the people with weak faith see you. It's like live a double life. Be a hypocrite. I'm I'd be interested to know what Peter had to say about that. Having said that, to say that Peter vouched for Paul is not accurate. It's not accurate according to Christian scholars, and it's not accurate according to the history uh, and the, the uh, Acts chapter 15 verses Galatians chapter 2. Peter doesn't seem to be very well. Um, he didn't seem to be that <sighs> endorsing of Paul. And Paul didn't seem to be that endorsing of Peter. Think about it. In Acts chapter 15, they're talking about the Gentiles. The, 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 the chapter, the, the so-called Council of Jerusalem was all about what do we do with the Gentiles? How do they get saved? Paul was right there. Paul was right there. Peter, James, Peter, James, Paul, the elders of the church, and the Pharisees. They're all there. If Peter vouched for Paul so much, why? Here's a question that I want to hear. I'm sure people would make up some, fabricate some kind of a, you know, explanation. But anyway, why? When questioning about what do we do with the Gentiles? How do they get saved? When they, when they, are, deliber they are deliberating about the Gentiles. Why didn't Peter say, oh, hey, Paul's here. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's the expert for the Gentiles. Let's ask him. No, not even close. They wouldn't let Paul, Peter wouldn't let Paul have a word in edgewise. He wouldn't let Paul speak about the matter. Apparently, in Peter's, apparently, according to Peter's actions, it seems like Peter didn't give Paul the credibility or authority on the matter at all. He's the one, according to Peter. Peter says he's the one that's called to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 15, verse 7. Excellent. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's what I would say. And one John, you know, yes, amen to this. Uh, I tell them that the scholars don't believe that Second Peter was written by, by Peter. Yeah, and no matter what, no matter, no matter who says what, if it's contrary to Torah, it's wrong. Absolutely, absolutely. 
Mike says, Mr. Enoch, uh, good explanation on the easy laws. Seriously, uh, following written Torah is easy and fun. Uh, regarding Hebrews, I really don't know author and assumed it was Mr. Hebrew. LOL. Yeah, Mr. Hebrew. Yeah, and that's another thing too. Uh, people, I, you know, people have a legit reason why they should doubt whether Paul knew Hebrew that well. He wasn't from a Hebrew-speaking Jewish city. He was from Tarsus. He was from a Greco-Roman city. He wrote in Greek. He didn't write in Hebrew. Um, you know, and some of the things that he said. Um, a lot of people that know Hebrew today, they look, they read that, and and they they say this is absolutely, uh, you know, nonsense. <laughs> this is nonsense. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, question for Move says, Peter, I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. Paul, cool. Christians, Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles. Paul, I'm sorry, what? Talking about the Acts version. Yeah, 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 book of Acts. Okay, guys, that's it for tonight. Uh, tomorrow we'll pick up uh, where we left off in our scripture reading and a little bit more, uh, as always. Um, questions and uh in comments and uh in fellowship uh i appreciate you guys as always you guys are awesome you guys are awesome so tomorrow monday tuesday wednesday thursday we'll continue as we did today lord willing uh on friday we have will i still have to confirm uh dr snyder to come back uh if he doesn't if he's not able to come back we'll have will on with us anyway uh, and so remember it's Sunday through Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern and Saturday at 2 p.m. And um, we'll see what we can do with uh, more guests uh, if the Lord wills. All right, guys. So Sorry if I missed your questions and comments. I know there's a, there's a delay here from, there's like a 10, 20, sometimes even 30 second delay. So I apologize in advance if I missed your questions and comments. Uh, but I appreciate every one of you. Blessings multiplied to each one of you. Thanks for, thanks for showing up. Thank you for your uh, live chat, your questions and your comments. You guys are awesome. I appreciate every one of you. As always, Caballero says, Thank you for another great day of fellowship. See you tomorrow. Thank you again, Caballero. Good to see you as always. Good to see you guys. As always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.